This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And as we mentioned off the top, the St. Louis Blues are perfect so far this season. Now listen, albeit 1-0, nice job against the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. 5-2 is the final score. They have two more games this week. They play Seattle tomorrow and then the Oilers uh, on Saturday. A four-game week follows, and we'll get a better snapshot of who these St. Louis Blues are. So in the meantime, uh, to help color that in, is the general manager of the St. Louis Blues, Doug Armstrong, and he joins me now. Doug, how are you today? I'm very good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm well. Thanks so much, and uh, thanks so much for stopping by. the The first thing before we, you know, drill down on things like Hyrule's contract and the team, etc. Um, the schedule is this something that Doug Armstrong, the St. Louis Blues, wanted just three games in the first two weeks, or is this just the way the the schedule worked out? That's just the way it worked out. We had uh, originally had a, a game earlier, and then uh, we had a, a really difficult. Uh, schedules they were able to help us with later in the season and they had to move some games around so feels like a college game right now college team we play one game and take a week off and then play another game but <laughs> we'll we'll pay for it later on but uh right now we were able to take our team down to uh charleston south carolina for four or five days after our last exhibition game to do a little team bonding get some good practice in and uh, uh but um, we're looking forward to starting to play some games for sure well, I mean, there's a lot of interesting, you know, storylines around this team. And there's, a, you know, certainly there's always questions around every squad. And, you know, there's there's a couple of things that stand out um, to me. One, Jake Neighbors. Two, Jordan Bennington. I want to get to both. Um, but I didn't expect to see uh, Alexei Toropchenko till about December. But there he was. I don't know if you, you know, took him to Lourdes to bathe in holy water or, or what it was, Doug. But a four-month recovery from shoulder surgery and he's good to go. That's a... Uh, that's a pleasant surprise for the Blues. Yeah, I would say I was as shocked as everybody else. Uh, he, he moved to St. Louis uh, in the summer and trained every day, and I saw how hard he was working, but uh, I still thought it was going to take a little more time, and then he just kept progressing, progressing, and uh, he went out to uh, Bale to see the doctor that performed the surgery that gave him a go-ahead, and uh, he, he's a big part of our team. You know, he doesn't get a, a ton of minutes, but he's got a big body, he skates, he, he gives us identity on that fourth line with... Uh, Akari and Walker right now and it's it's been um you know it's great to have him back in because he, he certainly helps us he's excellent and he's a lot of fun to watch and it's a lot of fun to watch kids as well and we all know the Jake Neighbor story from last season and there he is front and center in uh the game against the Columbus Blue Jackets he was excellent as uh, as you well know um just share your thoughts on you know no specific question attached to this one just share your thoughts on what you've seen in camp what you saw in game one with with Jake Neighbors well he came in a couple of years ago where and, and was very good in camp and uh um, you know, had some games with us. And, and quite honestly, you know, our, our belief is that if he's in our top nine, he'll stay here and, and compete. But uh, we believe that, you know, it's such a an important part of their career right now at 19 to 21, 22, uh, that we don't want to stunt their development by not playing. So uh, he and I had a good conversation. Uh, like most young players, the September is their Stanley Cup. And uh, for the Ryan O'Reilly's and Tarasenko's, they're just getting their feet wet and getting up and running. And, and usually... Water finds its level in, in mid to late October, November, and uh, Jake's responsibility now is to continue to the level he's at. I've been very impressed with him, and uh, he looks like the type of player that uh, is well beyond his years uh, in understanding the game and doing the nuances. Uh, he looks like a very easy player to play with, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he can hang on to uh, to a spot in our roster, but uh, mm-hmm. that's going to be up to him, and he's going to get every every chance to do that. Uh, well, the early returns look good uh, on Jake Neighbors so far. And listen, I'll tell you, the uh, the Jordan Bennington story is uh, is a wonderful one. And preseason, I, I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I think he only surrendered two goals in the uh, in the exhibition season. He looked fantastic. Um, you know, he had mentioned, you know, losing the smile uh, a couple of seasons ago and, and then regaining it. Uh, where's the GM now at on the, uh, the starting goaltender? Well, obviously, we, we saw what he did a few years ago, and uh, he did have ups and downs last year. But, again, got into the playoffs and uh, regained the net and was playing very good. I thought uh, we had a, a great opportunity in our second-round series, and then he got injured. And, and we, we still played uh, Colorado competitively, but uh, Bennington was really at the top of his game. And 
he has to be that player for us to have success. I, I think we're no different than other teams where where goaltending is a major part of it. Uh, they, they don't have to win you games, but they can't lose you games. And uh, I think Benner is going to have a really good year, and he's excited about uh, the opportunity ahead of him. He understands how much the team counts on him. And again, for us to for us to be good, he has to be good. Okay, I got to ask you this one. Partially tongue-in-cheek, but I think I am really curious as well, as I think a lot of people are. Um, is he ever finally just going to get his fight, just to get it out of his system? He's been close a number of a number of times. You know, he's itching for one. Uh, you know, would anyone just say to him, like, look, just get it out of your system, just have the one, and then move on? Uh, I'm not sure if it's more bark and less bite. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, he, he, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the body of a, a prolific fighter, let's say. So I, I think he's probably better just to uh, concentrate on stopping the puck and, and let Bortuzzo and some of these other guys pick up that area for us. But when you see it, Doug, like we've all seen it, like okay, it's finally going to happen. Like he's been close like a number of times. Like he's really itching for it. He's not he's not hiding behind anybody when he's when he's doing it either. You know what I mean? No, and, and quite honestly, when you when you look back on it, very rarely it's out of personal frustration of, of a bad goal. It's it's more just trying to get the team yeah. back engaged into the into what what's going on. And uh, but I know Craig's talked to him, and I know you know we we can't have him get hurt in, in something that's not going to affect the game one way or the other. He has to stop the puck, and he understands that. But he he does have emotion, and, and the players do like playing in front of him because they know he's a competitor. Um, you know, the the St. Louis Blues are a fascinating squad. This is not a team that is uh, historically uh, going to bottom out and load up on, you know, super high picks. I know there was the one year they, they drafted uh, uh, EJ first overall, Eric Johnson. Um, but this isn't a team that, you know, is is picking in the, the top three or the top five every year, yet it remains competitive. And I just mentioned Jake Neighbors, and now everybody should know the story of Robert Thomas and should know the story of Jordan Cairo as well. Scott Perunovic, that injury is devastating. Uh, as we all know, this is this is a team that continues to put younger players in key positions in the lineup um, and sees great returns with it. Um, that's successful when you have great veterans. And you look at Ryan O'Reilly and you look at Vladimir Tarasenko and you, you referenced them a couple of seconds ago and they're both on expiring contracts. What's the, what's the strategy with both these players from the GM's chair this season? Well, I think what we want to do is get off to a good start. We're not, we're not uh, obviously going to do this in, in the public, but in a salary cap area, you have to make yep. hard decisions. And I think we, over the years, have, have have done things that haven't been pleasant, or or certainly our fan base hasn't liked at the at the time. But you know, when you have young players coming, you have to have cap space to pay these guys, and uh, uh, it's just part and parcel of the business right now. Uh, obviously, we hope to find a way to keep Tarasenko and O'Reilly in the fold. Um, you know, and, and but with the cab staying stagnant, uh, again, next year, or as of today, it, it's supposed to stay very close to stagnant. It's difficult. We're not the only team that deals with this. Uh, but sure. I, I think we, we pride ourselves in trying to make hard decisions early and, and live with those, and it allows us to have continued growth from younger players. Um, this was an interesting season of uh, interesting off season of of signings and an off interesting off season of uh, of moves and there was the Florida Calgary uh, situation and you know part of that was you know Matthew Kachuk saying I'm just going to essentially take my qualifier and then and then walk away the following season I think that put a chill uh, around the NHL there were younger players. And we'll think of Jordan Cairo, Ottawa with, with Tim Stutzla and, and others, Tage Thompson in Buffalo, um, getting paid based on projection as opposed to reward, which a lot of people look at and say, well, the old school way is to reward for past uh, production, where the new school way is almost like a prospector, I suppose, Doug, you know, pay for how you project the player. When you handle a, a younger player's negotiation, like what are the things as a GM that you're weighing? Like whether it was Robert Thomas last season, whether it's Jordan Cairo um, this past off season, what are the things that you're weighing? Well, I, I think if you look at our situation, it's a little bit different than those other ones you described in the sense that these guys weren't coming out of entry level. Uh, they, they had signed bridge contracts. And so, if you don't do it now, <laughs> then, then they're just a, then they were Matthew Tuchuk is a year or two away from UFA, and basically they they gain a lot more um, 
you control seeing the finish line uh, and or the starting line for UFA. And so, but in theory, what you want to do is you you want to gain some trust in the player and the play. You want the player to gain trust in the organization. Uh, we signed these guys after four years of pro. Um, they they were point of game players last year. I, so there's not as much, or we believe there's not as much. What if? Let's just say they they stayed point of game players and, and didn't get any better. These contracts are going to hold the test of time. If if they don't get any better at all. These contracts are going to hold the test of time because they're a point of game right now. They're not. They're not fifty-point players or forty-five or sixty-point players, and you're hoping on. And so we're we're a little bit different than that. Now, I would say the last players that we did what you're talking about were Petrangelo and Tarasenko a number of years ago, coming out of entry level. Uh, both those teams are for both of those players had been first or, or second team all stars in the NHL at that point. So we're we're not a big speculating team. Uh, we like a little bit more information and. Uh, and I think that that helps us to keep veteran players too by by getting a couple of years of, of bridge contracts so you can keep as many good players around as possible. But ultimately, you want to pay your your players that look like they're going to be um, top end NHL players or or average plus players through the meat of their career. And we think that Thomas and Cairo are going to be that, if not more. You know, it really is, and listen, I don't need to tell you this. You've been at this long enough. It is uh, perhaps harder than ever to be a GM right now in a, in a triple, triple salary cap league and uh, a league where the salary cap has remained flat. I'm always curious how, you know, you and your colleagues sort of essentially, to be honest with you, Doug, how you do this, you know, not knowing when there's going to be the spike and we're sort of wrestling between, okay, is there going to be a salary cap spike in two years? Is it going to be three years? If so, how much is it going to be? Do you have an idea or what you're working with in your head when you're going to start to see like a more significant lift in the salary cap? Well, I, I think we're into a pretty constant rhythm prior to the pandemic. It was going up, you know, three to five million a year, sometimes a little more, you know, but you, you, you knew that probably a bad contract today was not going to be a bad contract in three or four years. Then the pandemic hit. And you, you see now you probably have two-thirds of the league with a million dollars of the cap. You have you have one team, I think, spending close to almost to $100 million this year uh, using LTI space uh, to, to their benefit. So I think managers are doing a good job of finding the loopholes that are in the system and and, uh, and working those to their team's favor. Uh, St. Louis sort of, we, we just sort of look at what, where we're at, look where we're moving. We, we try and be prudent on, on what may and may not happen. Uh, but now I think what we all realize is how quickly things can change with a pandemic. No one in society, not just in hockey, wants to go through what we went through the last couple of years. But you can't say it's not going to happen again. So I think you have to, you have to be a little more cognizant of the, of the fact of what might be around the corner. But I think the league and the PA have done a great job of growing our game. The revenues are going up. Uh, you know, people are whispering the, the idea of a $100 million cap within certainly within the, the next decade and probably sooner than that. So uh, the game is growing and uh, the players should benefit from the growth of the game, and they do. They do. Uh, listen, uh, best of luck. A couple of games uh, starting tomorrow with uh, Seattle Kraken and then Saturday against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, so far, I want to know you're perfect. Uh, keep it rolling. Always fun to watch the St. Louis Blues. Doug, always a pleasure catching up with you. Thanks so much for stopping by today. Thank you very much for having me on, and we'll see you guys soon. Absolutely. Doug Armstrong is the uh, general manager of the St. Louis Blues. Uh, again, they've only played one game, a 5-2 victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. And uh, Tarasenko essentially picking up right where he left off. Jake Neighbors looked real good. Uh, Jordan Bennington looks real good. You know, there is that question out there now that the, the Stanley Cup resides in the Central. Um, and we'll see come trade deadline time what moves uh, the Colorado Avalanche make. But, you know, the fact that they're down in Nazem Kadri, the fact that they're down in Andre Burakovsky, you know, they've, they've had to shed some players because of the salary cap. And we're all wondering which of those Chicago two, whether it's Kane or Taves, ends up with the Avalanche by trade deadline. But I think we're wondering, like, have they come back down to the pack enough uh, to open up some space for the team like the St. Louis Blues uh, to do more damage in the playoffs, to do more damage. And I do think, by the way, for the record, because I know some people have, have written off St. Louis and are wondering if they're a playoff team, I 
I don't get that. Like, I, I, I really don't understand that. Like, the Prunovich injury, yeah, that's that's tough. Like, just to be blunt, that sucks. That's a, that's a real tough one for them, whether it's, you know, Perunovic in the lineup or whether Perunovic's uh, presence with the St. Louis Blues opens up an opportunity for Doug Armstrong to perhaps move out somebody else. Like, there's no no two bones, of no no bones you can make about it. That's, that's a tough one for the Blues. But as the Avalanche take, albeit a small step backwards i don't know if they're in immortal status yet but they're they're getting closer you know you i think you wonder about a team like the st louis blues you know some would have said well watch the minnesota wild i'm one of them and i still think the wild they're gonna course correct here it's still early um but i still have them as a as a strong playoff team i i really do and, and until they take a significant step backwards uh i'm going to continue to say that now having said that and Armstrong said, we're not going to do this in the media, not going to do this out in the open. There are some big decisions on the horizon, whether it is Vladimir Tarasenko, who just had a spectacular season uh, last year. That was marvelous performance by Tarasenko. Or Ryan O'Reilly, uh, you know, the heart and soul, the heartbeat of, of this team. I think a lot of people would look at Ryan O'Reilly and will say, or would say, I can see him retiring as St. Louis Blue. This is where he's enjoyed his success. This is where he's enjoyed individual achievement. Uh, this is where he's enjoyed collective achievement by winning a Stanley Cup with a team. This is, you know, where Ryan O'Reilly finally found his home. These two players aren't expiring contracts here. And as much as one day the team will turn over to the Robert Thomases and the Jordan Kairos and the Jake Neighbors and the Scott Perunoviches and... You know, netminder Joel Hofer, eh, we might end up seeing at some point this season. We'll see how the, the year shakes itself out. Right now, this is still a team that is led by vets. Uh, we'll take a break. Peter DeBoer coming up in Hour 2, head coach of the Dallas Stars. Joining me next from the NHL on Sportsnet, the gift master and the guy that shares all of our cell phone numbers and addresses on Twitter, Anthony Stewart. Stay tuned. Merrick Show continues. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so a couple of fascinating games here tonight. Welcome to Hour 2 of the program. So we'll kick it all off. There's a number of games at 7. The Anaheim Ducks and the New Jersey Devils. Why should you pay attention to this one? Well, on the weekend, they were chanting Fire Lindy in New Jersey. Very uncomfortable for everybody involved, but the expectations were higher this season for the New Jersey Devils. Expectations a little bit elevated. What did we say all offseason long? If they could only get a save. You know what? When you look at the underlings, too, if they could still only get a save... This New Jersey Devils team would be much, much better off. We'll see what happens again. The caveat to all of this is, is it's early, but when the fans turn on a coach, it takes a while to get it back. Devils and Ducks tonight. Uh, the Bruins, who uh, are suddenly awesome, and we just thought that they would fall off the face of the earth uh, to start the season. They're undefeated, face off against the Ottawa Senators. Ottawa uh, still looking for their first victory of the season. The Columbus Blue Jackets hosting the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, boy. Where do you want to begin there? Three games in a row. Vancouver Canucks squandering multi-goal leads. Ungood, as we like to say. We all know the comments afterwards by Bruce Boudreau and how that's resonating in that market. Uh, so Vancouver playing in a back-to-back situation here. Blue Jackets still looking for their first victory. No Patrick Line there. But nonetheless, we'll see what happens tonight. 7 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet Pacific. Your other Sportsnet games, 9 o'clock, a pair of games. The Oilers facing off against the Sabres. Uh, that is on Sportsnet 360. At the same time, oh boy, juicy junior. Real juicy. Here's the game of the night. Calgary Flames hosting the Vegas Golden Knights. The Flames 2-0, the Vegas Golden Knights 3-0. Watch that one on Sportsnet West. Late, the Kings and the Preds. Before that, Sharks and the Islanders, the Flyers and the Bolts. And that's your sked of games. Joining me now from the NHL on Sportsnet, uh, also covers the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs for us on Sportsnet. He is Anthony Stewart. Uh, Stewart, you're not going to share my either cell phone number or home address, are you? <laughs> 
No, I'm not. And thanks for having me on. But uh, I blame David Amber for that. He was so excited to show his brand new 2022-2023 binder. Uh, and he forgot that his phone number is actually on the front cover. But I want to know who's going to find that and say, hey, well, let me get this back to David Amber. Like, that's a lot of uh, pertinent information only to hockey insiders. Everyone else, I think, would probably use it as uh, firewood. <laughs> or betting information. Or betting information. Uh, yeah. What, what what are the two? Yeah. Well, listen. So, was talking to uh, to Da yesterday, and we sort of had a giggle about that story as well. And he said, the next time you have Stewie on, make sure because we were talking about Alex Kovalev and we were talking about Pavel Datsuk. And he said, make sure you ask Stewie about his game against the Red Wings and Pavel Datsuk. Stewie, what is your story about playing against Pavel? Well, I'll, I'll preface this by saying there was only two times in my whole NHL career where I'm like, I do not belong on this ice. And it was my first, I think it was my first year in 2005 uh, versus the uh, Detroit Red Wings. I think I got Cronwald. I got Cronwald, went to the wrong bench. Uh, but I think a couple seasons later, I was on the ice uh, in the D zone and Datsuk dangled me so bad that it ended up on, it's an American company, Sports Center top highlights, not just hockey, but the top highlights, and he didn't even score. He put it between my legs. I got crossed up, and there was just a little, probably about enough space for a puck to go back through, put it back through my legs, and my ankles broke, and I fell on my face, and he just uh, missed the top <laughs> corner. But he dangled me so bad, I'm like, let me get off of this ice. So, yeah, Datsuk is probably one of the top players in the world, and I saw it with my eyes. He almost ended my career uh, before it even started. So I used to watch, um, I used to love watching uh, the Montreal Canadiens when Kovalev was there. I used to love watching practice because, to me, he was the best the, the, like the most creative player I may I may have ever seen, and we were talking about this yesterday with Da. I loved watching Kovalev in practice because he would do things that he would, your your jaw would drop. Uh, Pavel Datsuk was the same way. Um, you know, I remember hearing the stories from various teams and various coaches that, you know, when the Red Army would do their tours through the NHL, uh, some uh, some teams wouldn't let their players watch the Red Army practice because they were so intimidating. Uh, just at, at at the way that they practiced. So in in that in that spirit, Stewie, who was the best player in practice that you ever saw? And was there a team out there that would intimidate you by how they practiced in the morning? Um, well, I think the best practice player, and if I could come back reincarnated as a player, it'd have to be Victor Kozlov because he was just so tall, dreamy, long. He looked like a tennis player. And just, like, the game was just so effortless for him. He just came in, nice hands. And But what he can do in practice was um, he can do, like, a one-hand, like, kick his stick and go bar down full ice. So, again, I'm tough to really describe without showing it. But just his talent. Like, again, everyone talks about Kovalev, but I saw Viktor Kozlov on a, uh, you know, day-to-day basis just seeing him, and I'm like – man, like, I wish I, I learned hockey this way. Because my favorite player was growing up was Mario Lemieux, and I never obviously saw him as a player. This was the closest thing. So I know, obviously, he didn't have a career stats-wise, but skill-wise, absolutely. But uh, I think from practice, player, I got hurt my first year uh, in the NHL. So I was done for the whole year. Uh, but I had to go out and continue to skate. So what I used to do is I used to go out and watch some of the pregame skates. Uh, and this one particular uh, time, the Maple Leafs were in town. So I don't think Eric Lindros was playing, uh, but I would think it was him. Um, and a couple other Leafs were skating. Uh, they were doing a bag skate afterwards, and I was just watching for about 15, 20 minutes, and Eric came over to me. He's like, hey, do you want to join our skates? And I'm like, yeah, of course. So here I am. I hop over the boards as a member of the Florida Panthers, but I think it was Brian McCabe came back, and he's like, Stewie, if Mike Keenan sees you on the ice skating with the Maple Leafs, your career is going to be before it started also. So, wait, so uh, yeah, wait, I had a chance hold, to jump hold, on. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Yeah. Hold, hold on a second. You can't. We're not going to let that one go. So, That's as a member story. of the Florida Panthers, you joined the Toronto Maple Leafs bag skate. I, I tried to. I jumped over the bench and I was ready to get on the line with them because I was waiting for them to get off the ice. They were going a little bit longer, and I was ready to join the skate. And uh, I think it was Caber pulled me back and like, "You better get off this ice. If anyone sees you out here skating with the opposition, <laughs> you're done." <laughs> That's awesome, Stuart. I really wish yeah. I would have. What a great visual. Now, were you wearing your Panthers gear? Yeah, I had all my Panthers gear. I was ready to go, yeah. So I was like, again, I'm young. I'm 20 years old, and I'm done for the year. I'm like, well, let me be a fan for a minute. 
watching the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, you know, I was almost like a, a fan in the stands hopping over to go to the skate, not an NHL hockey player, which was – that was that was a great – that was an all-time story for sure. <laughs> oh, that's spectacular. Uh, listen, I uh, will transition there then to the, to the Toronto Maple Leafs and – I don't know. Pick your way to describe what you saw yesterday. I had one person texting me say, you know, I've never seen a team that's achieved so little skate so arrogantly as the Maple Leafs did against what they interpret as a, as an inferior team. Like that was a, if you're a Maple Leafs fan, that's a really tough look. Like it's been a, it's been a season so far of three, one goal games, uh, lose to Montreal, one goal game against the Caps, one goal game against the Ottawa Senators. So going into it, you've played three games, two teams of which uh, aren't even playoff squads, and you're facing off against a team that, you know, every time they pick up points, you know, the the, the, the general manager gets a rash. Like, this isn't the, the goal. Like, the goal of the season isn't to pick up points, but I guess if you have to, let it be against the Toronto Maple Leafs. How did you see that last night, Stewie? Well, it was it was underwhelming to uh, to say the least. It's funny, and uh, you know, Elliot was on the show earlier. I was texting him last night when it's two nothing, and I'm like, the Leafs are coming back in this. Watch this, <laughs> and he's like, there's no way. <laughs> but um, you know, for me, the lesson is in losing, right? And those are one of those games where for them to actually learn their lesson, I think they needed to lose that game three nothing, four nothing. But the fact that they came back. You know, that just shows that that team can turn it on and turn it off. But it's a National Hockey League, and I don't care if you're playing against teams that are going for the toilet bowl. These are, you know, they're great players. They can play in the league, and you have to compete every single night. So you can't just come in and rely on the top players, rely on those guys to step up. Everybody to a man has to to compete. And that's sort of where, uh, for me as a player, if I had to shift off, those coaches are making a mental note saying, you know what, we're going to look to replace him in the lineup. Not a bad period, not a bad game, not a bad segment, a bad shift. So for me, I had to fight every single shift to sort of earn my spot in the National Hockey League. But it just seemed to a man, uh, you know, and I'm not putting this on the bottom six, but there just wasn't that, 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 that fight. There was no one to drag them in the fight. So that's a game where, again, yeah. Wayne Simmons is a close friend of mine, but you need players like that, the Cliffords, that can come in and drag a team in the fight to say, hey, you know what, we need to wake up. This is unacceptable. So uh, it's a long season. I'm not pushing the panic button. But um, after last year's disappointment, I thought there'd just be a little bit more fight uh, with this Maple Leafs team four games in. But who knows? The team could be banged up. Uh, It could have been a tough training camp where guys are still getting over that. Uh, But at the end of the day, there's a lot riding on this team right now um, long-term and short-term, that they need to have a little bit of a better effort going forward. Yeah, you know, the the one thing is, like, this is all under the umbrella of, you know, perennial. Like, every single season, there's a playoff disappointment by the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, and you know, two seasons ago, it was spectacular against the Montreal Canadiens. Last year, opening round again against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Can't close out. Um, and mind you, Tampa is like one of the elite teams of this generation, but still, nonetheless, like the Maple Leafs had them there. So coming into the season, I think the expectation was, you know, this team is going to skate with more of a killer instinct. But again, it's still early. I don't think there's reason to push the panic button just yet. But have you seen any of that at at any point? Have you seen a, a killer instinct? With this team, like last night, those first two periods were as emotionless as we've seen out of this Maple Leaf squad for the last few seasons. Yeah, it's it, it was flat. And again, it was my son's first Maple Leaf game last night. Uh, kudos to Mark Fraser and oh, the Leafs no. for providing, uh, providing hockey quality with uh, tickets for some of the players. So my son was there. And this whole game, I was thinking like, can they please just score a goal so my son can at least feel the energy of what a, an NHL rig should be like? Because there was nothing for that first two periods. So, um, you know, it goes back to, you know, and I have the worst memory, Jeff, but, you know, we were talking about this of our days, you know, when we had our radio program and we're talking about the Fast Five and saying, like, hey, isn't this the year that they need to get it done? Yeah. So what year was that? I don't even remember. Uh, but the fact that we're still talking that about it years, ago. years later, yeah. um, for me, that shows like, okay, there has to be that sense of accountability. And, you know, we talked about Tampa Bay Lightning and on that same program. When Remember when they scratched Kucherov? And it was, oh, my gosh. But they had that accountability internal where you have to find a way to motivate some of these players. So whether it's bag skating, whether it's in and out of the lineup, whether it's taking away power play time, we see the one team in the league right now, I think it's uh, the Ottawa Senators. Hey, whether you're first unit or second unit, if you score, you're staying on. So they have that internal co- accountability where I think this group needs to have it. So, uh, But 
it's it, it's still early. It's still early. You know, we know Matthews is going to be flirting, flirting with 50, 60 goals. We know Marner is going to get his 100, goal, 100 points. But I think right now at this point, you need to have that identity, and we've yet to see that with the Leaf team. So if you're um, – so, sorry, which fan base do you think needs to be more concerned about their team right now? The Toronto Maple Leafs or the Vancouver Canucks? Now, the Canucks have squandered <clears throat> multiple multi-goal leads in three games in a row. Listen, they could turn this thing around tonight against Columbus and, you know, uh, win out the week, you know, back to Vancouver for a game against the Buffalo Sabres and, and all is well. But which fan base do you think needs to be more concerned? Toronto at what they're going through or Vancouver with what they're going through right now? Well, are we on in Vancouver, Jeff? We are on in Vancouver. And Vancouver, and listen, Stewie, Vancouver Hockey Twitter is always listening to everything. Oh, man, I know, I know. They're still killing me about last year. But anyway, I, I, I'm going to say the Vancouver Canucks. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we did a segment with Ken Reed uh, yeah. the other day about uh, naming hockey movies after, you know, specific NHL teams. And we are talking about the Vancouver Canucks. And I said they're Mystery Alaska just because I don't know what they're going to be. Are they good? Are they bad? And I just go back to my comments last year is, you know, I think they were relying too heavily on, you know, Demko to, to mimic his success that he had in the playoffs. I'll promise I won't say bubble Demko. So they need, uh, they need a little bit more depth on the back end, especially, you know, you had Luke Shen playing in your top, uh, mm. top uh, two, top two pairings there. They need to find a little bit more depth. And the one thing I can say is, again, I played for GM JR in the Carolina days. He is not patient, so he's not going to be afraid to make moves, you know, trade guys, get rid of guys, put guys in waivers. So I think that can mess with the chemistry of a team right now. But they put a lot of uh, finances into some of these players that they just resigned lately, so that comes with expectations. So, um, you know, you see Boudreau, you know, you saw his comments yesterday. You know, he wasn't too impressed yeah. as well, too. And remember, he's only on a one-year deal, so I think there's a lot of pressure uh, in Vancouver. So hashtag Canucks. Uh, you know, uh, if you if you have anything to say, go at uh, at David Amber. Uh, that's my Twitter handle, and be sure to send your messages there. <laughs> Stewie's serious about that. Like any hatred, just directed at David Amber. So so much so that he actually put David's cell phone number out there publicly on his Twitter. Like Stewie, Stewie comes by this legit man. Like he's not Stewie doesn't fake the funk when it comes. To, I'm trying to pass he off. You want you want to criticize me? Yeah, straight. take your take it. Yeah. DA catches the least amount of strays on Twitter. Everybody loves DA on social media, so you got to take them down a couple notches here and there. Yep. <laughs> All right, take DA down a peg. So uh, Vancouver has Columbus tonight, and then Minnesota. You want to talk about a wounded animal right now, the Minnesota Wild, and again after last night with the goaltending uh, issues for many, and then they're at home against the Buffalo Sabres Saturday. Um, boy, this is, uh, this is not shaping up great for the Vancouver Canucks, and... You know, whenever you hear a uh, head coach, as we saw Bruce Boudreaux, you know, talking about, you know, the mental makeup of their team or Sheldon Keefe, head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs after the Montreal Canadiens, you know, after the Montreal. Oh, by the way, one game for Kuznetsov. There you go. That just uh, okay. that just announced by the NHL. One game for the uh, for the slash to uh, the slash yesterday to Kyle Burroughs. Um more on that in a moment. When you hear what Sheldon Keefe said after the Montreal game, which is essentially we're not prepared, and then after the Arizona game where he says, you know, questions, you know, his top guys, his elite players. Like, as a player, Stewie, like, you played in the NHL. I never played in the NHL. The majority, like, the overwhelming majority of people hearing our voices right now did not play in the NHL. Give us a player's point of view. When you hear coaches talking like this, what do you think? Well, I think they're under a tremendous amount of pressure. But, you know, for them to, you know, be saying that publicly, this had been boiling over for a couple of weeks. And, you know, talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, remember it went back into training camp where I think he stopped practice and sort of rung into the group. So uh, I think for some of these teams, again, we are professionals, but I just go back to my playing days. You know, I put that accountability back on myself where if we're losing a game 2 nothing or 4-1, I would go out there as a, you know, third or fourth line guy and say, we have to do something. So I think you have to have that personal pressure and it's not about fighting. It's about maybe just going out and laying a big hit, blocking a big shot, 
you know, doing something that, as opposed to just waiting around, you know, for the power play to drag you back into the game or, or the stars. So, you know, uh, I don't think it's the best thing to say as a teammate. I loved it when the top guys were struggling because I would say, you know what, this is my opportunity. This is my opportunity now to get into the top six and show what I can do. So I was be waiting for moments like this. So I'm not putting it on the bottom line players, but there just needs to be an accountability. There needs to be a better, a better mental makeup, but they just need to have that identity of what are we going to do. And I think right now Arizona was mm-hmm. the problem. The solution is next game. What are they going to do next game? How are they going to respond? Because it's not going to get easier. I think they have some road trips coming up or they're going to go travel out uh, out west and play some west games. It gets hard on the road. So you're at home games right now. You've got to take advantage of, uh, of, the, of the crowd and the fans that's excited for this, uh, for this year. And you've got to start getting some wins because, again, not saying you can fall out of the race, but, again, it's going to be tough because this yeah. regular season does count. You want to get the best matchup as possible. And you're looking at a team like the Boston Bruins saying, ah, you know what, they're easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. No, 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 they're 3-0 and right now, too. And they seem like they're a force to be reckoned with as well in, the, uh, in this uh, Atlantic division. So let me get this straight then, Stewie. So Ole Jokinen is struggling. Like Nathan Horton is struggling. You'd go up to like Ole Jokinen and say, wow, man, I'm really glad you're struggling because that opens the door for me. No, and you know this story. Ole used to always come to me and say, what's going on with this team? And I'm like, I'm a rookie. You're the captain. Why are you asking me? I don't know. <laughs> He's like, oh, you really need to figure this out, Stu. So, again, <laughs> like, okay, I'm on it. I'll go talk to the coach, and I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'll get back to you after uh, after Jacques Martin tells me to get out of his office. Um, let me uh, – I'm curious, like, uh, we talked a lot here about Toronto and, and Vancouver, but outside of those two teams, who's caught your eye so far? Like, it's been a really intriguing first week of the season. Uh, a lot of surprise teams are undefeated. Um, you know, some powerhouses have been knocked down a peg. Uh, we've seen the Detroit Red Wings really play well, albeit in a losing effort last night. It was, it was uh, you know, uh, after the 60, they, they grabbed their point. Who's, who's surprised you so far, Stewie? Well, I really like that Detroit game last night. And we talk about team identity. You know, there's an open net there. They come back on the back check. The other guy blocks a shot. They go down and score the goal where they could have easily said, you know what, yeah. not a high expectations this year. We'll just burn the point. But they battled for that point because they understand the importance of every single point. I think it's got to be, you know, the Boston Bruins. You know, they're 3-0 right now. Carolina's playing some good hockey as well, too. Um, I'm just trying to think, like, who else is, is sort of maybe on the on the negative end right now? Rangers. Um, Rangers, you know, look Rangers, Rangers look really you know, good. Yeah, you know, again, I'll, I'll prep not prefaces, but I'll mention again. My Vesna pick for this year would be was Jack Campbell. I'm surprised that he's struggling right now. I'm surprised that uh, you know they're so reliant on the power play, getting them back into games right now. San Jose's 0 and 4. Um, so again, I, I think whoever picked, uh, you know, the the top and the bottom right now, I think it's a little bit topsy turvy right now with some of the results right now in the league. I thought your Vesna pick was UC Saros. I think I saw that on Twitter somewhere. No, that's the power of the Photoshop. I changed it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I totally <laughs> love that one. Jack Campbell, what are you talking about? It's a funny way to pronounce UC Saros. What are you talking about here? Exactly, exactly. But again, and, and, and the, but the best way to sum it up, a lot of these bottom teams have gotten better. You know, Philadelphia, again, I know it's still early, but Detroit, you know, Buffalo seems like they've improved as well too. Ottawa. Uh, Seattle looks a little bit better as well. Um, you know, Anaheim's going to be competing. That's good for the league now because you want to have, you know, those competitive games. You don't want to be like, okay, on paper, it's going to be a 4-2 game here. I think that's good for the league when you have these competitions, some good young players that are contributing as well. So I'm excited because at the end of the day, it's great, great hockey. Uh, I cannot let you go without asking you about hockey equality um, because you do a lot of work uh, and getting kids on the ice and getting equipment on kids' backs as well and, and making sure the sport is accessible and affordable uh, to some people that would not otherwise get a chance to enjoy it. What is the latest uh, with hockey equality? And by the way, if you're, if you're and you should be, uh, interested in what uh, in what Stewie's doing, uh, hockeyequality.org is the website. What's the, what's the latest with hockey equality, Stewie? 
Well, it's great. We had uh, our first mentorship group uh, summit where we got together the top 07s in Ontario and we got them in a room and, you know, we had, uh, you know, some players, some people from the Hamilton Bulldogs to talk to them about the OHL experience. Brian Burke actually came and, nice. uh, you know, gave the kids some words of wisdom too. It was amazing seeing Berkey and talk to them at the NHL level. So again, we're doing a lot of mentorship, but at the end of the day, we're just trying to lower some of these financial barriers. Ice time is still at an all-time high. Equipment. Um, you know, I get, uh, you know, yeah. some discounts at Bauer, but sticks are still $400 and the skate. So we're just trying to, you know, find our way to grow the game one person at a time. And it's great to say now we're providing scholarships for some of the academies. You know, we're paying some registration for kids. We're getting equipment. So, again, we're doing it one kid at a time, but that's uh, that's the charity. It's no too big, not too big, not too small. We're excited to work with these yeah. kids on an individual basis. And, uh, you know, in our first year, I, I think we have 400 kids on boarded. And, uh, you know, we're really, really excited. We have uh, $20 ice sessions Monday to Friday at the Hockey Factory. So if you're looking to get on the ice for 20 bucks, we have a, sorry, $10 learn to skate, $20 skill sessions with some elite trainers. So, again, we're lowering those barriers, lowering those costs, and uh, excited in our first year. We're uh, happy to say it's uh, it's been a success so far. So we're really excited, and thank you, Jeff, for, you know, donating your time and talking to some of these kids as well, too, and sports that's been amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for the future, but I'm excited for the future of the game with some of these kids on the ground level here. They're going to be stars, and I'm very excited to Absolutely. have a small, small part in that. 100%. These are like all the kids that I've spoken to with your group which are just like wonderful young athletes, uh, both boys and girls. They're, they're tremendous. Uh, I, I was, I'm glad you brought up the ice time and the, the, not the ice time, but the ice fees as well. As much as we talk about, and you mentioned, you know, $400 sticks and $800 skates, etc. Man, ice time's a killer. Like, how, how do you work with, like, how do you work with groups to get those numbers down? It's, it's tough, and I have my ideas right now, but, uh, you know, we saw the financial audit with Hockey Canada. Why not, you know, take some of that money and reinvest it into some of the community rinks or even the private rinks too, right? Again, ice is very expensive, but we understand yeah. the gas has gone up and inflation. But, again, if I'm able to do a camp for half the price and add lunch and add jerseys, I think someone else can, you know, step up and do that as well too. You know, we're proud to say we offer camps for $50 a day where some of the going rates are 75 to $200. Uh, so I think it's just a way you got to find a way to bring back that sense of community because I always talk about my brother and I making it to the NHL. We were great players, but we had people in the community to go above and beyond to make sure we were clothed, fed. We had rides to the arena. Uh, you know, we just had that moral support. So we're trying to bring back that sense of community. And I think it starts with getting kids on the mm-hmm. ice too. And we have a, a stick and puck, free stick and puck on Fridays as well too. So if you're interested and uh, you, you want to get in touch with us, uh, please uh, go to www.hockeyequality.org. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, it, it really is. And you do some outstanding work there, too. And I would imagine we'll we'll close on this one. C- coming out of the pandemic, because you're in touch with people in corporate Canada all the time, uh, I would imagine that, listen, we all know the financial challenges that everybody has gone through on an individual basis. Um, companies are the same way. And we all know how budgets get pinched. Uh, is it more challenging than ever going out to corporate Canada and trying to raise funds for hockey equality? It is. It is. But every dollar counts. And we, and we talk about charity. So we're going to be doing the same thing, whether we raise $100 or $500. But, you know, the one thing I can say about some of these families, um, you know, they are getting subsidized training. But what they do on top of that, they appreciate it so much that they go and they donate themselves. So whatever they have to donate, they donate. So everybody is donating, uh, whether they're corporate or, you know, uh, small small-time businesses as well, too. And, again, we're doing a great job in, in the community just raising those funds. So for us, yeah, you'd love to raise as much po- uh, money as possible to be sustainable. But for us, we're doing this for the kids on the ground level. And, again, they're happy right now just to be able to be on the ice. And I urge anybody, especially some of these ex-players, get on the ice with these kids. It, it saved my life where I was a little bit bitter with the game near the end. But getting back and having a hand in grassroots hockey and minor hockey, it rejuvenated my love for the game now where I actually get to talk about it for a living and I'm excited excited to talk about it where if uh you know the way that my career ended i'd be like there's no way i'm going to be coming on tv and talking about that suck dangling because i suck <laughs> <laughs> okay let me let me let me close on this let me close on this this is a little sort of peek behind the curtains so when elliot and i were doing our 32 thoughts tour when we did our stop at the boston pizza in kingston um you came out and shantae came out as well and you stayed 
which was cool. Like you, you and you and Shante stayed the night, and um, you know you played hockey, of course, with the uh, with the Kingston Frontenacs. And I was, uh, I was talking to her after, and she said, "Yeah, he wants to stay. I don't know whether he wants to relive junior hockey glory or he wants to take me to Stages nightclub. Like we're 17 years old again, and he's still playing for the Frontenacs." What did you do that night, Stewie? Why did you, why were you staying in Kingston that night to relive well, junior glory? You, we had an amazing time. We went to the <laughs> Adidas uh, <laughs> Adidas uh, Mall and we got some stuff at Adidas. So we actually said, you know what, we're going to have a great dinner downtown at Grizzlies. So we get down there for probably about ten o'clock. It's closed, but yeah. Stages was having a loud luxury concert, which is a a dance band. And what I'm telling you, there was probably about two thousand college kids. We did one lap around downtown, yeah. and we said, we're out of here. And we ended up at a different Boston pizza where we had a uh, <laughs> we had a couple of root beers and enjoyed <laughs> the night there. So it was a quiet evening in Kingston, nothing compared to uh, the good old party days uh, when I was playing at Kingston. I did one lap downtown and said, ah, nope, this is, uh, this is too much for me. I'm out of here. So you didn't go to, like, where is it, the, uh, the Toucan would have been the big one when I was going there, uh, the restaurant Panchancho, you go for Bubba's, for, for Poutine. You didn't hit up any of those those hot spots for, for hockey no, players and, no. and students? No, I ended up at the Pizza Pizza, and I always tell the story with uh, my final year in Kingston. Uh, Larry Mavity <laughs> said, you're signed to an NHL contract. If you think you're going to be getting gas money from us, there's not a chance. I said, well... Mav, you got to give me something. It's in the contract. So he paid me that year in pizza, pizza coupons, free pizza coupons. So what I'm telling you, I would go to his office every two weeks, and he would dish it out like 15 pizza, pizza coupons. <laughs> so let's just say I ate a lot of pizza as a player uh, in, uh, in my junior career. I'm just saying, what if I was eating like actual uh... pizza? How good I could have been back then. <laughs> You would have just been torn up like uh, whippy blue steel by the time the draft rolled around. That's awesome. Uh, Stewie, you're the yeah. best, man. HockeyEquality.org is the, uh, is the website. We encourage all of you to, uh, to try to get involved uh, and help out and get some, uh, get some kids on the ice who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to do so. You're the best, Stewie. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Bye. Larry Mavity paying in pizza coupons, ladies and gentlemen. That's Junesy's back in the day when Stewie played for the Kingston Frontenacs and his brother Chris uh, would have played on the exact same team. Uh, we'll take a break. Thanks, Anthony Stewart, for stopping by. When we come back, we're going to talk to Peter DeBoer, whose team is excellent uh, so far this season and took apart the Winnipeg Jets last night. Previous uh, took two from the Nashville Predators in spectacular fashion. And it's not just that they're doing it, but how Dallas is playing as well. If you get a chance on your Sportsnet now, get a chance to watch the Dallas Stars. This is a really exciting squad. We'll talk to their head coach here in a couple of moments. And also, I want to get into a conversation with Peter about how so much of his coaching and maybe even so much of his life, that road all leads back to Tom Webster, the late, great Tom Webster, uh, who was his coach with the Windsor Spitfires. That conversation is next. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, spot quiz as we like to do here on the program. The Stanley Cup resides in the Central Division now. Colorado Avalanche, as we all know from last season. Spectacular. But who's the top team in the Central right now as we speak? Three wins after three games. Six points. Goal differential of plus 10. That is the Dallas Stars. Peter DeBoer is their head coach, and he joins me now. Peter, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you today? Great, Jeff. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing well. Um, We've been talking a lot here uh, about the Dallas Stars this season. I think we were all curious, you know, how they were going to look different, how they were going to play different, how, you know, no John Klingberg anymore, what that was going to mean for players like, you know, for Haskinen, you know, moving in younger players, Wyatt Johnson, etc. When you first took over the Dallas Stars, what were your initial thoughts? Like, what did you need to massage? What did you want to change and how did you want to change it? Um, well, you know, it's, it's a, it, hopefully I'll try and make this as, as short winded as I can. Cause I could go on, go on for a while on this. Um, you know, well, one, there, there was my, my overall, uh, 
feeling was just general excitement. I had played against Dallas. Uh, they had beaten us in the bubble in the conference final. Uh, you know, Joe Pavelski had been my captain in San Jose, so I knew the character in the room with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan and some of the veterans. Um, as I sat down with Jim Nill and went through the interview process, uh, I really got excited about the prospects coming from his excitement about them. Uh, Joe McDonnell, their head scout, and his staff have done an exceptional job of drafting. And they've got uh, not one or two, but three or four, five really good young players that are knocking on the door. We kept Wyatt Johnson, but there's three or four others that are that are right there, two and coming. So, and then, and then you've got a middle group of, uh, you know, some real stars. Like Rupe Hens is a, is a star. Uh, Jason Robertson's a star. So, um, you know, it's uh, Miro Haskin and, you know, doesn't need to be talked about. He's a star. So, you know, it's a, it's a nice blend. And, uh, you know, I, I think from a coaching perspective, when you have Joe Pavelski in the room and I have a relationship with Joe and he knows what I'm about and what I'm looking for and, you know, he can help me with that messaging in the room. I knew it would be a, a quicker process than coming in blind. You know, every coach has a different style. And I, I know what Rupe Hinn said the other day, maybe interpreted as a knock against Rick Bonus. I don't think it was in, it was intended as such. And for any of our listeners and viewers that didn't uh, hear it, Rupe Hinn's essentially said, you know, it's, it's different now. We're not just dumping the puck in. Now we're making plays at the blue lines. Our zone entries are a lot different now uh, with Peter DeBoer as uh, the head coach. And I think people interpreted that as a, as a knock at, uh, at Bonus. I don't think it was i don't think he intended it that way but if you had any of your players say you know essentially players that have been there before this is a much more you know this is more fun to play this way like being able to to handle the puck more play a little bit more up tempo not as you know completely focused on defense any of the players remarked that to you well first off you hit a little bit of a, a sore spot with me on 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 you know how coaches kind of get boxed into you know uh outside opinions like you know Rupe Hins did not mean anything to Rick Bonus by that and and every coach that's coaching at this level is is doing what they can with their group to win that night to get in the playoffs and um, you know I think I mean there's been similar stuff said about me coming out of Vegas you know that all of a sudden you know Bruce Cassidy's in there and they're defending well we, we won the Jennings and the Vesna the year before we just had 500 man games lost so you know, like it, mm. you, you just uh, you you change. I, I think you know it, it's it's sometimes it's it's just a different voice. Sometimes it's uh, you know someone coming in with with some fresh perspective. Uh, we just played Winnipeg Jets, a Rick Bonus now coach team, and their D were up in the ice all night. They weren't dumping pucks. Shifley was making plays. So. Um, you know, I, I, I just, that stuff, that stuff bothers me a little bit because I think it's, uh, it's an easy out and it's an easy headline for, for people to run with. And I don't think it's fair to the coaching fraternity. So I'll get off my soapbox now. And what, what was your question again, Jeff? <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry I'm, about I'm that. just curious. I'm just curious. I'm just, just, just curious. Curi- <laughs> Go ahead. I listen. I, I know, like the listen. I know the coaching fraternity uh, is very tight. I know there's only 32 of these jobs, and I know everyone's really competitive uh, to get them. Yeah. But you know, the the sense that I get from talking to coaches and even talking to people at the NHL Coaches Association, how much of a, a fraternity there is uh, amongst amongst coaches. Essentially, the, the question is because every team is different. Like some guys, you know, prefer you know yeah. different ways to play. It suits their style better. Have you had players? you know say to you like you know this is this is a more enjoyable style or this is the way that I like to play hockey sure we get that all the time you know players players would love to uh you know hang on to the puck and try and make a play every time they they get it uh you know to to uh you know regardless sometimes of the consequences Uh, you know the reality is is Mm -hmm. come playoff time I think you saw a Colorado team that learned you know, how to defend and when to manage the puck and when to make plays. That was a process. Tampa went through that process, you know, and, and, and learned some really hard lessons along the way uh, before they figured out where that line was. And, uh, you know, I think we're all as coaches trying to find where that line is in Dallas here. It's, 
this team has a, an identity of defending really hard. Uh, we want to move that line more towards making some more plays, but but not at the expense of losing that identity. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a couple of people mention to me, you know, when you got hired that, you know, this is a really good fit because this looks like a, a Peter DeBoer team. And I remember saying, oh, well, what, what do you mean? And the one thing they kept coming back to is, one, big defense, and two, it's a team that can be successful on second and third chances. And we've talked a lot about point shots, generating rebounds, um, and how, you know, that's how you score goals in the playoffs. It's off those second and third chances. When you first took the job, did you say, yeah, you know what, this is a team that suits my style? Like sometimes it's, oh, the team has to adapt to the coach. Like did you look at this and say, this is going to be a really good situation. This is my kind of team. Well, I, I like the character. I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer. I, I've been in enough playoff wars and battles and, and runs that uh, you know you have an idea what wins in the playoffs. And I think, you know, that this group has some of those characteristics. And there's no doubt part of that is, is a heavy hardness uh, to them and, a, and a, an ability to score and, and defend the tough areas of the ice. Um, but, but I think, you know, the coaches now in, in this league, uh, this is my fifth stop. You know, you, you adapt to the personnel you have, um, you know, in, in, in Vegas, we were, uh, a rush skill team, uh, you know, in New Jersey, when I went to the final, uh, we were, mo- we were built a little more like Dallas is here. When I was in San Jose, we were a little bit of a hybrid. So I think, I think that's, that's our job. You know, I, again, the, uh, the 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 hanging the the tag on on a coach that you're this you're this guy or you're that guy or you know I I think uh, I think that does a little bit of a disservice to us I think you know my Rick Bonus example I think is a real good one I mean you know that that Winnipeg team isn't isn't playing at all like his Dallas team did but he's got a different personnel group there and and he's adapting to that. Mm-hmm. Is there one, I'm talking to Peter DeBoer, uh, head coach of the Dallas Stars, was there one player, because I know you've, you've coached against them, obviously, but is there one player that um, when you got on the ice with this team, you said to yourself, I knew this guy was good. I didn't know he was this good, though. Um, well, that's a, that's a great uh, question. Uh, I, I think there's always a handful of guys because there's a bunch of guys I had I, I had no idea who they were, uh, to be honest with you. You know, Niels Lundqvist, who we traded for the day before training camp from the yep. Rangers, uh, you know, going to be a really, really, it already is a very, very good defenseman. Uh, you know, the, the obvious ones are Heiskanen and Rupe Hens, uh, are stars, um, you know, but, um, you know, there's, there's some other guys here too. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, a guy I know really well, but Joe Pavelski. I mean, I had Joe Pavelski at 35. He's 37, 38 now, uh, and he hasn't lost yep. a step. Um, so that that that's surprising to me because I've had other guys in those age groups that you know they they their their game disappears quickly. So you know, they're, they're, I think there's been a bunch of pleasant surprises. Our goalie Ottinger. Um, you know, my son played with him at Boston University. I saw him as a college goalie. I, I didn't really see him a lot as a pro because he's only played you know a handful of games but but this guy's for real like he's been fantastic so um you know there's been a bunch of surprises and uh you know that's the exciting part a couple of uh i want to ask you about tom webster here in a second but before i get there there's a couple of kids that i want to ask you about um i'm watching the game last night and i see whoa he's got wyatt johnson out there on the power play you know, some coaches are, you know, you're going to have to earn power play time, kid, and it's not going to happen in game three, but you've got Wyatt Johnson out there. Your, your, th- your thoughts on uh, on how to acclimatize this kid to the NHL? Because that was a, albeit pleasant, that was a real surprise. Well, Wyatt came in, and, and we had a handful of Stan Colvin, Wyatt Johnson, Bork. Uh, we had a handful of young guys that we yep. really wanted to look at through camp, and, and Wyatt separated himself from that group. Uh, through our exhibition games and, and I'll be honest with you you know Jim and I sat down and you know everyone knows there's kind of a nine game uh, uh, bar there where you know you have to uh, burn a year of, of 
contract if you go beyond that. So we yeah. want to give him as good an opportunity to show what he can do through that nine games. But he's also earned that. I'm, we're not going to do that at the expense of losing games. And you know, everything we've thrown at this young guy, he's uh, he's handled. He's never overwhelmed. He's got a great disposition to him. Um, you know, he looks like an everyday NHL player to me right now. But we're going to use the nine games. Uh, I think before that decision's made final. Um, true or false? The NHL is always better when there's a lot of Kitchener Rangers players in it. <laughs> Absolutely true, and coaches. <laughs> okay, then let me. Okay, then let me let me follow that up with this one. How how close is how close is Riley Demiani? Riley Demiani was really close. Again, you know, I, I, you know, being a former Kitchener Ranger, uh, both of us, I should have known Riley better. But I, I was gone, obviously, and and uh, you know, yeah. I would follow them yeah. from a distance, but I never got to see him play a lot. But he's a guy I got to know in training camp, and we have a connection there through Kitchener. But he, he really won me over. I'm, I'm a big fan. He's uh, he, he can play in the NHL. He can come up and help us, and you're going to see him mm-hmm. up with the Dallas Stars here. Uh, Absolutely, this year. So let me uh, let, let me conclude with this one. Uh, I want to go back to Tom Webster. So the first yeah. time, uh, the first time that I was ever aware of you um, was 1988 and the Windsor Spitfires. Now I grew up playing baseball with Kelly Kane. Uh, we're both right around the same age. We both grew up playing High Park Little League. And so I followed him through, you know, he had a really, really good baseball player, but obviously an exceptional hockey player. And he led your team in scoring that year. And that was, you know, going to the Memorial Cup and facing off against that Medicine Hat team with, uh, with, with Trevor Linden. Um, and I've always been told that, you know, there's always been a real connection. And the one person who really influenced Peter DeBoer's not just career, but life as well, was the late, great Tom Webster. Do you have a, a thought or two on, on what he meant to your, not just career, but what Tom Webster meant to your life? Well, you know, I think everyone, there's certain people that, that uh, their their lives cross and and, uh, and become involved with it that really changes your your direction and, and your outlook and, and really molds you. And I was very fortunate. And I think Paul Maurice would say the same thing uh, to, to end up in Windsor uh, with the Windsor Spitfires. Jimmy Rutherford was our general manager, hall of fame, general manager. Tommy Webster was our coach uh, coach, you know, and played in the NHL for a lifetime. Um, you know, to be around those two people, uh, I can't tell you how that, you know, one molded me as a, as a young man, but also, you know, uh, open doors for me to, to do what I'm doing right now. I, I don't know what I would be doing if, uh, I wasn't coaching. Um, but you know, I know my life wouldn't be, uh, nearly as, as fulfilled uh, as it has been or enjoyable as it has been, uh, without those two gentlemen. And, you know, it was just a, a stroke of luck that I was drafted to Windsor and, uh, you know, um, played on a great team around some great people. Adam Graves was on that team too. He was one of the best uh, yep. human beings you'll ever meet. So, uh, you know, just, just feel fortunate, Jeff, that uh, I was around those, those uh, men. We lost Tommy too early a few years ago, but uh, his impact on, uh, you know, all of us and particularly Paul Maurice and I who ended up coaching, you know, over a thousand games, I think, uh, is, uh, was immense. You know, um, I, I'm always curious as well. We'll, we'll end on this one, Peter, uh, influences. Clearly Tom Webster was one when and you mentioned, you know, Paul Maurice, you, you know, brought you into the, uh, Detroit junior organization. Um, outside of those two people, who do you think really had a profound impact on your career? Um, you know, honestly, my wife, uh, when you sign up to be a coach, uh, you know, you, the spouses and the kids get the worst of it. You know, uh, this is my fifth NHL stop, a uh, couple of junior stops before that. Um, you know, you're you're reading the, the headlines in the paper, you know, about how, how great a job your husband's doing one month and the next month uh you know you're getting run out of town and finding a new place to live and new schools and um you know so she she's been the backbone of of uh, our family and my ability to do this and 
you know, I can't believe the the things she's put up with to allow me to pursue this. Absolutely, they are the, uh, the the backbone and the spine in a lot of ways of of everything that happens in the uh, in the NHL at a lot of levels. Uh, Peter, this has been great. Um, thanks so much for stopping by today. Your team looks fantastic and real fun to watch. You got a game against the Maple Leafs coming up Thursday in Toronto, and then Montreal on Saturday. Best of luck. Continue success with the Stars. Yeah, always a pleasure, Jeff. Thanks. There he is, Peter DeBoer, the uh, head coach of the Dallas Stars, a perfect 3-0. and uh, A couple of big wins against the uh, Nashville Predators and then a big win last night against the Winnipeg Jets. And to the point about, you know, show me a good goalie and I'll show you a good coach, man, Jake Ottinger has only allowed three goals in three games. Uh, we all know and all saw with our very own eyes how he almost stole that series for Dallas uh, last year in the opening round against the Calgary Flames. This guy is as advertised. And you look at you know the future of goaltending in the NHL, and we talk a lot about Igor Shishterkin with reason. Um, and we talk now about you know um, Sorokin with the Islanders, and for good reasons, a lot of good young goaltenders uh, in this league right now. And you wonder, too, where Jake Ottinger's place is going to be. Um, and it's going to be a profound one, it looks like, right now. And as I've pointed out on this show and on the podcast with Elliot before, this was one of those scenarios for the Dallas Stars where everything worked perfectly like so seldom can you plan something for the development of a uh, of a player and specifically a goaltender and have it work according to plan normally you know when you look at player development it's kind of like a bunny hop it's you know two hops forward and a couple of hops back and then one forward and two back and you sort of lurch towards progress that way it really is bunny hop development it's not specifically linear but the plan that they had for Jake Ottinger last season was perfect. He wasn't going to make the team out of game. There was the there was Hudobin, there was Holtby, there was the Ben Bishop issue with the injury and what was going to happen with him. And Ottinger was going to start in the American Hockey League and dominate the league and make his way up and take a job. And by the end of the season, he would be the number one. He was a starting netminder. That was the plan. And so seldom do plans come together perfectly. But for Jim Nill the Dallas Stars, it worked out. Anyhow, long-winded way of saying Jake Ottinger's really good, eh? He's proved it so far three games in. Dallas are a perfect 3-0. A number of games to watch on the uh, Sportsnet Network this evening. Uh, on Sportsnet Pacific at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific, the Blue Jackets face off against the Vancouver Canucks. We have the Oilers and the Sabres on Sportsnet 360 at 9 Eastern, also at the same time. And folks, this is the game of the night. Calgary Flames face off against the Vegas Golden Knights. Two perfect teams going head-to-head early in the season. Back tomorrow. Thanks so much for joining me today.